0: keep coming back uh, lately. You know, we've been having these quiet times after service and stuff, so we had a whole service talking about learning to quieten our souls in this time that we live in. Political upheaval, world turmoil, teenagers shooting one another, craziness all around, uh, immorality at an all-time high, at least in the places where we live and work and move around. Nobody's even chasing Pokemans anymore. They're all scared because of all the clown sightings. I don't know how how many more chuckles I'll get out of that joke, but I'll keep using it until y'all stop. But in Mississippi, many people are finding their own solutions to problems. Have you noticed your fellow Mississippians Have their own way of doing things. Could you hit that slideshow for me? So, we're going to talk tonight about some Mississippi solutions. Are y'all ready? Mississippi solutions. Is there not a way to put it on? Put enable editing up there at the top. All right. can you put it on slideshow? Up at the very top slideshow. And hit uh, play slideshow or whatever. Far left, I can't see it, it's too blurry. One of them. Oh, there we go. All right, so just when I say click it, I think it'll go to the next one. So click the first Mississippi solution. No porch, no problem. <laughs> that's, a, that's a trailer if you can't see that far that they've pulled up. Okay, so if you don't have a porch in Mississippi, that's no problem. Next one. Your goat's on strike, no problem. Got it figured out. That's the way we do things here in Mississippi. Next one. You need a place to keep all your ex-mother-in-laws? <laughs> You just live in the one on the bottom, and you, you just keep going upwards. All right, next one. You need a car alarm. <laughs> That's a Mississippi car alarm. <laughs> you can't afford a car alarm? <laughs> now, who thought somebody wanted to steal that car? <laughs> All right, next. You want some power winders? <laughs> your windows are stuck, won't go down? No problem. We'll get some wind in there. <laughs> All right, what else we got? This year's proms at the 7 Eleven, we got you. There's your limo. In Mississippi, we're on the cutting edge of deer hunting technology. There you go. Remember, and fishing technology look like the same thing. They just move it around for different seasons. And storm safety. Some of Angie said the same thing. Hey, so it so it is in Mississippi. Okay. All right. <laughs> synchronized swimming. Only in Mississippi can you do synchronized swimming by yourself. <laughs> All right. And fashion. That's Mississippi fashion. We got more fashion? Memphis got everything Hollywood's got. And more Walmarts. Amen. So Mississippians, we got our own way of doing things. Of course, I'm making, fun, I'm poking fun at my fellow Mississippians, and this coming from a guy who recently told you I duct taped my daughter's car together. <laughs> hey, and that uh, gorilla glue duct tape, that stuff works good. It's still on there, and she drives on the interstate and everything, and it ain't, it ain't. Despite all the advantages of living in Mississippi, I think we still probably need to consult the Bible. I know, you know, Mississippi figures most things out, but I think the Bible is a more sure translation, and uh, find out what Jesus did, and uh, we'll probably be better off. Turn to Luke chapter 22. All right, we're going to stay here all night, so I don't mean all night, but we'll stay in this chapter pretty much. We're going to study this section of scripture. This is when uh, Jesus is preparing for the Last Supper. Luke 22, 7, we're going to find out what did Jesus do. Because tonight's message is entitled Preparing for the Journey. And we're going to see how Jesus prepared for his journey. In verse 7, it says, Now the festival of unleavened bread arrived, and when the Pass that's when the Passover Lamb is sacrificed. Jesus understood that he was the Passover lamb that was going to be sacrificed. So when that time came, he knew it was time for his departure. Uh, He recognized what time it was. And I would ask you tonight, are you starting to recognize what time it is? So what did Jesus do to prepare? So as we study this passage of Scripture, I'll be pointing out some things that I noticed in this passage of Scripture. Jesus is doing to prepare himself for the journey that he's about to undertake. In verse 8 it says, Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, go and prepare the Passover meal So that we can eat it together. Say together. Jesus wants to get everyone together. Isn't that typically what you do when you're fixing to leave? Or you're going to be gone for a long time. You want to get all your close buddies together. You want to have fellowship there in the end. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked him. And he replied, as soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, teacher. The teacher asked, where is the guest room that I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? And he will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. And they went off to the city and found everything, just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. That's a lot of preparation. They prepared the meal. They prepared the room. They prepared A lot of preparation that Jesus begins for his journey. And the reason why I said that, because our, our message is entitled Preparing for the Journey, I remember one journey in particular I wish I had back. When I was about 20, 21 years old, uh, me and my friend Hal, we prepared to take a journey to Florida, as many young kids do. And at the time, I had this raggedy little old RX-7 sports car that would only hold me and just... A little one other passenger, and both of us was big guys, and we had to pretty much fold ourselves to get in in there. And, but but we scraped up all the money we could find, and he come close to a hundred dollars, and I come close to a hundred dollars, and we decided, hey, we going to Florida for a week. <laughs> <laughs> now this is back in the late '80s, but still, uh, that was a little wishful thinking. Uh, we didn't take a lot of time for preparation. I remember getting a change of clothes and maybe a toothbrush or something, and we threw it in the car along with a little pup tent we had because we knew we weren't going to afford, afford any hotels while we were there. So we drove all the way to Florida, and this is in the middle of the summer, mind you, and we get to the beach, and we're just looking around. We have n- no itinerary. We have not planned this thing out at all. We see this little campsite across on the other side of the beach, and uh, we go, and it's like $15 a day for a campsite, and we pay it begrudgingly. Thought that was high. But, uh, and, it's, and we get there, and it's just a patch, well, scattered grass in the sand and a picnic table. No shade in them, just the middle of this big campsite. And there's ironically, there was nobody else there. So we threw up our put, up pup tent, and we waited uh, you know, for it to get night. We went down to the beach and so forth, and then we snuck our way into a little nightclub down there. Which was the real reason we was there at those day, in those days, and uh, we both had enough to get our initial beer, and then, if I remember correctly, Hal would was pretty good at that time. About you remember Hal? He he, he was pretty good at stealing drinks, and so he kept us supplied after that. And it was it was a big place, and, and, and I don't remember exactly. You know, it was a little fuzzy to me after the first. Five or six drinks But I do remember we came back late that night And we got in our pup tent Two grown men in a tent, you know About that big (laughs) Well, we had drank enough That we had to sleep it off And uh, we came home late So by the time I woke up the next morning It was probably about 9 or 10 Maybe 11 o'clock in the morning And I was just drenched with sweat because it was so hot on a summer morning there inside a pup tent with no shade trying to sleep but I you know I, I was sleeping no matter what at that time but when I woke up I was sweating and Hal was not there and I felt something funny on my feet and I realized my feet were hanging out the pup tent and they were already sunburned and they were swole up red sunburned already And I got out, and I'm doing this number here, and I'm like, what in the world? And I began to look for Hal, and I looked over there at our picnic table. And he couldn't take the heat. He had gotten up in the middle of the night and went and slept underneath the picnic table. And I was thinking, that was pretty smart. He might have got a little air out here until I woke him up, and we realized that he had slept on an anthill. And there wasn't an inch on his body that didn't have an ant bite all over. And he was sunburned all over. And Hal's got red hair and a real light complexion. And that pretty much summed up the first two or three days we were there. I don't think we got that drunk again after that, mostly because we didn't have the money to. But but we stayed there and tried to have as much fun as we could. And, And on that $100, we took off and went to New Orleans. And we tried to get in as much fun as we could there. I don't remember if we, I think we slept in a car one night there But then on the way back, I'm telling you, I was hankering for a a real bed, sleeping in a pump tent all week long and driving in an RX-7 and being sunburned and ant-bitten and and hanged over and everything you can think of. It was time to get home, but we were going to stop on the way home. We saw this little campsite, and we pulled in there, and they had a swimming pool. We didn't even go rent a campsite first. We just jumped in their pool just to get some refreshment. And when we came up out of the water... We looked over there, and there was a sign. Guess what that sign said? I'll tell you later. But my point is, at least until this point, is we didn't prepare for our journey, and it cost us. Back to our scripture, verse 4. It said, when the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. And I can't wait to sit down with Jesus at the table, and it's coming soon. It's going to be real soon we're going to be sitting. I mean, you're going to to look back on tonight and say, you remember it was just the other day you told us we'd be here, and here we are. We're going to be sitting down at the table with Jesus in heaven. And Jesus said, "I, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. Of course, he's in a different stage at this point. He says, for I tell you now, that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. And then Jesus begins to tell them about what's about to happen. And it's amazing that they were so unaware of what he was telling them because he had told them many times before. Some of you have been told things over and over and over again. It, and as people, are, it's just like there's a padlock on our brain sometimes. We can hear things, but we don't believe it. Anyway, he took some of the bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and he gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Does this sound familiar to anybody? And after supper, he took another cup of wine and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant between God and his people. And the agreement confirmed with my blood which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. So Jesus goes on to explain why he's about to lay down his life. You know, he tells the disciples, what is this all about? And he institutes the sacrament of communion. And he tells them to do this so you never forget what I'm about to do for you. Verse 21. He says, but here at this table, sitting among us as a friend... Is the man who will betray me? For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die, but what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? Sounds like a warning. The disciples begin to ask each other which one of them would do such a thing. Then they begin to argue among themselves who would be the greatest among them. I guess they lost their train of thought or something. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, but people are just funny. It's not me, Lord. I wouldn't do it. I mean, who would here? But I would be the greatest in the kingdom of God. I mean, they just, they lose their train of thought. It's like, how does God put up with us? And some of you are saying, I would never do that. Come on. I do that, and I'll admit it. Anyway, Jesus told them, In the world, the kings and the great men lorded over their people. Yet they're called friends of the people. But among you it will be different. Those who are greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. He's explaining the need for humility if we're going to serve him, right? Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, because that's why he's sitting at the table, because he's more important somebody else is serving him. But not here, he says, for I am among you as one who serves. You have stayed with me in my time of trial, and just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in the kingdom. And you will sit on the thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So there's rewards for our faithfulness. And Jesus is telling them, you will be rewarded for your faithfulness. And then he changes the subject. Jesus often changed the subject too, but I think he was on top of everything. He was changing it too. Verse 31, it says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Well, actually, he says here in this version, this uh, gospel, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. So he's saying Satan wants to get all of those disciples. But I have pleaded in prayer with you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. He's telling them, look, you've got an enemy down here. The, this life of faith is not an easy life. It's not, you know, all rainbows and butterflies. But he encouraged them by saying, look, I'm on your side. I'm rooting for you. I'm pulling for you. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Ah." The necessity of repentance in the life of a believer. And clearly, God welcomes it. When you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you, even to die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. He jumped up on a hickory stump. He said, Peter, let me tell you something. No, he didn't. Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you'll deny three times that you even know me. In other words, don't get cocky, Peter. Get it before the cock crows. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you out to preach the good news and you did not have money, a traveler's bag or an extra sandal, what, or a pair of sandals, did you need anything? No, they replied. But now, he said, take your money and your traveler's bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. Uh-oh, it's getting serious when you got to sell your cloak to buy a sword. For the time has come for this prophecy about me to be fulfilled. And then he tells them the prophecy that he was counted among the rebels. Yes, everything written about me by the prophets will come true. So the, the people that say the Old Testament is irrelevant these days, they don't know what to This is all the Word of God. And it's still coming true. And we see much of it coming true today. You can look in the Old Testament and see scriptures being fulfilled before our eyes today. And he says, everything written about me by the prophets will come true. Look, Lord, they replied. Here they go again. Ding, ding, ding. We have two swords among us. That's enough, he says. So he's confirming that the word of God will come true and that it is enough. And it's all the weapon that you'll ever need. Then accompanied by his disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room. And he went as usual. So this is what he normally did. He went as usual to the Mount of Olives. Uh, I think it's in Matthew that it it gives a little extra on this account. He says that before they left, they sang a hymn together. So So Jesus fellowships with his disciples. He teaches his disciples, he rebukes his disciples, he worships with his disciples, and now he seeks a place to go and pray with his disciples. And he understands that all these ways are ways to connect with the Father. In verse 40, there he told them, pray that you will not give in to temptation. He walked away about a stone's throw and he knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Now that's a healthy prayer. Ask for what you want, but trust God for what you need. Trust that God will give you what you need. Ask what you want. That's good. You receive not because you ask not. But trust that what God gives you is what you need. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. Say angels are real. Remember we've been talking about seeing into the spiritual world how it's more real than what we see on this side. Angels are real. And he prayed more fervently. And he was in such agony of spirit that sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. And at last he stood up again and he returned to his disciples only to find them asleep. Exhausted from grief. Why are you sleeping? (laughs) How can you sleep at a time like this? That's probably what he wants to ask the church today. Why are you sleeping? Why are you not praying? Don't you realize what's about to happen? Get up and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. We see people giving in to temptation all around us. But even as Jesus said this, a crowd approached, led by Judas, one of the twelve disciples. Judas walked over to Jesus and greeted him with a kiss. But Jesus Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? We think, wow, how odd. But we have so many today that betray Jesus with a kiss. They They confess him as their Lord, but their lifestyle says anything but. When the other disciples saw what was about to happen, they exclaimed, Lord, should we fight? We brought the swords. They're so proud of themselves. Oh, they just cracked me up. We brought the swords. And one of them struck at the high priest's slave, slashing off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And then he touched the man's ear and he healed them. And Jesus made it clear right there that we're not fighting against the people. It's the people that I came to save. We're not fighting against flesh and blood here, guys. We're fighting against evil principalities and rulers' spiritual wickedness. The people are deceived. Later on, he would say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. It's the people that, it, that lived in the darkness, that he came to shine as the light on two. So he came, and he was trying to talk, tell them, it's about the people. Those, those are the ones that I'm laying my life down for. And in verse 52, Jesus spoke to the leading priest, the captains of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, the crew that had snuck up on him at night. He said, am I some dangerous revolutionary that you would come with swords and clubs to arrest me. Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there every day. But this is your moment, the time when the power of darkness reigns. So I believe each one of us can see the power of darkness encroaching into our world today. And just like Jesus knew that meant it was time for him to go, I believe we can see it's about time for us to go it's going to get darker before it gets lighter. So how do we prepare? What did we learn from this passage of Scripture? What did we see from Jesus? Surely we're not happy with our own little Mississippi solutions. I mean, that's not going to work. (laughs) It might work for a minute, but duct tape is not the final solution. (laughs) Duct tape will do a lot of things, but it ain't getting you into heaven. Gorilla tape... Maybe (laughs) not. So, the things that we discussed, I have pulled out to make it handy for you so that we can recap what we learned from Jesus. I got 17 quick points we're going to make. Jesus realized what time it was. He recognized what it said in the scriptures. He realized that he was the Passover lamb. He recognized it was time for him to go. And you know what? If we were to be quiet, I can almost hear that trumpet warming up. I can almost hear Jesus' robes rustling around at the door that he's about to knock on. Look around, prophecies being fulfilled all around us. And I like what Brother Tim said the other day. Uh, Brother Gary was talking about end times, and Brother Tim said, you know what, it's end times for somebody every day. Because if we don't make it to the rapture or, or whatever, we're all, this appointed man wants to die. And then the judgment, there's people going, and you don't know for sure you'll be here tomorrow. There's people that died today, thought that they would still be here tomorrow. We don't know what's going on. So it's serious business whether Jesus comes back this year or in 20 years. But I believe we should at least be feeling a sense of urgency one way or another, because even if, if it was another 100 years and we lived every one of them, there should be a sense of urgency about what we got to do. Jesus wanted to spend, secondly, Jesus wanted to spend his last hours with the ones that he cared about the most. And that's exactly why he's given us the church, because he wants us to gather together with, with the ones that we love. Thirdly, there's a lot of preparation involved in the Passover that Jesus wants us to experience. A lot of preparation. Remember all the meal gathering and the people gathering and the tables being prepared and all. So we see the same thing going on at the church, don't we? Pre- we do a lot of preparation to make sure you get here. <laughs> I-, I have to get you to do the offering to make you show it. No. <laughs> you know. There's a lot of preparation and thought that goes into advertising and doing things that will emotionally stimulate you to say, hey, I might need the Word of God. (laughs) Right? And then once you get here, there's a lot of preparation that goes on to making sure you get fed. Preparation for the journey. Fourth, Jesus tells them what's about to happen, and they were totally unaware. But we need to tell people What's about to happen? They're totally unaware. We knock on doors, and I'm surprised at how many have heard that Jesus died on a cross and have no clue why. We need to tell them what's about to happen, and we need to tell them what happened, right? So you can tell them about what's coming and you can tell them about what's happening because so many are unaware in our society today. We just assume because we grew up in the Bible Belt that everybody knows, but this ain't your grandmama's version of America anymore. Welcome to the new reality. Fifth, Jesus explained why he was about to give his life and he institutes the sacrament of communion so we'll never forget. So we're to be telling others why he gave his life, telling them about the cross, keeping the cross forefront in our minds and on our agenda and helping other people keep it before them. So we, and then we take communion so we don't forget. This Sunday, the first Sunday of every month, we take communion together. 2,000 years ago, Jesus instituted it at the Last Supper. And we do the same thing because he said, do this in remembrance of me so we don't forget. We, we can't remember what we did yesterday. Half the time. If we don't make it a point to not to, to remember what Jesus did on the cross, we'll forget. That's why we continue to read the Word of God. I've read the Word of God so many times cover to cover, I'm telling you. But that doesn't mean I know it. I've got to stay in it. I've got to live in it. I've forgotten more Scripture than most people with a Ph.D. ever read in their life. <laughs> you know, you got to live in the Scriptures. It's not good enough that you read it one time when you was a kid. You probably remember two verses out of the whole thing. Our minds don't work that way. we got to continually feed ourselves with the Word of God, and we got to be active in it. It's alive. It's for today. Faith is now. Now the faith is. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Verse 6, Jesus gives us a warning for those who would betray him. And hell is a real place. And Jesus don't want anybody to go there. But all who reject Jesus, God's plan of salvation, will go there, willingly. They have decided, either by their unwillingness to make a decision or by their decision, that they don't want Jesus as Lord. And that should create a heightened sense of urgency in every believer. Because if you know what Jesus says about what hell is like, we don't want anybody to go there. I mean anybody. We don't want anybody. And Jesus is not willing that any should perish. Now we have the words of eternal life, and we got to sound the warning. Seventh, Jesus explains the need for humility in our Christianity, in our service to him. Galatians 1, or 6-1, hits us pretty hard. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone else, You're only fooling yourself. You ain't that important. That's the Mississippi version. You ain't all that. (laughs) But we got to be gentle and humble with people. We don't jump up and say, you need to do this, you need to do that. You don't know their situation, first of all. And uh, you need to be careful unless you fall into the same thing. We've seen how schizophrenic people are (laughs) Already, just from reading that one scripture, we have to help one another. The thing you're helping somebody else with might be the thing they're helping you with next week. So be humble. Don't put yourself in a position to act like you, you've got it all together because none of us do. Eighth, Jesus explained that there are rewards for faithfulness. Revelations twenty two twelve. 12, he says, look, I'm coming soon, and I'm bringing my reward with me. To repay all the people according to their deeds. Unfortunately, that means the good things you've done and the bad things. So the people that think, "Oh, I'm saved and I got my ticket to heaven," that's all that matters. Ooh, you might be living a little pup tent in heaven. <laughs> You'd be driving a little RX-7 in heaven, 1980 something RX-7. <laughs> it ain't going to be good. Eter- eternity is a long time. You don't want to just barely make it through as if by fire and lose all your family and all your loved ones because you weren't willing to open your mouth and, do- and live a life according to God's way and be an example and a light for somebody else. Your children going to hell, your wife and your husband going to hell because you just want to betray Jesus with a kiss. You want to tell him, you want to tell everybody I belong to Jesus, but you don't want to live like it. Not anybody in here, I'm sure, but, I mean, there are people. The ninth thing, he told them that we have an enemy, that the life of faith will not necessarily be easy. But he encourages us, saying, I'm on your side. I want you to succeed. And you know The common man, the average man, not a heroic man, but women too, men and women, if they just know somebody cares, if they just know somebody is on their side, if they know it's the right thing and it's a good cause, they'll jump on a grenade. People are willing to give, but just to know somebody is on their side. And Jesus wants to make it plain, I am on your side. I want you to succeed. A lot of people have a misconception that God wants you to fail because he's up there taking notes and he likes to punish people. That is not the way. Do you like punishing your children? I mean, you that's what's wrong with America today. Nobody wants to beat these kids. No. But if you love them, you won't, spoil, you won't spare the rod. I learned that the hard way. I wish I would have done more of that. But, you know, when I say beat, I mean... You know, in a loving way. Jesus wants you to succeed. All right, 10th. And we're wrapping up. I'm, I'm going to wrap this thing up. Jesus told us repentance is necessary in the life of a believer. And it's welcomed by God. A lot of teaching today implies that, you know, your sins are forgiven and your past, present, and future sins are forgiven and, and so there's no need to ever ask God to forgive you. You just keep going. That is a sad misrepresentation of any relationship. Okay, so maybe me and you had a past and, and we couldn't stand each other, but we have forgiven each other. And going forth, you know, we're good. We're completely good. But if you do something new to me, then you need to apologize. Or if I do something new to you, I need to apologize. Well, you say, well, he's already forgiven you for that. But still, for relationship's sake, you just don't hurt somebody. God is not a monster. He is not a computer. He has feelings, clearly. He's a jealous God because he's jealous of you. He loves you. You don't sin against him and say, well, I, have, I don't need God has already forgiven me. Well, that's only, maybe that's good. makes you feel better, but how does God feel? You need to have a healthy life of repentance. When you do something, just tell him you're sorry. He likes that. And he never does anything to need to be sorry, but if he did, I'm sure he would tell you he's sorry. Just common sense. 1 John 1 8 says, If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and we're not living in the truth. Like I said, none of us have arrived. We're going to make bonehead to things, and we're going to ju- just sins of omission, commission, different kind of thing. We didn't even know we walk in sin sometimes. But if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And that's where he wants us to stay, in a, in a right standing with him. And he's always willing to offer that if there's repentance The eleventh thing I wrote, he confirmed the word of God is true and it's enough and it's all the weapon that we'll ever need. We don't fight, you know, with knives and guns. Uh, We fight with the word of God because we're fighting a spiritual battle. I'm not saying that there's not a time for war or whatever. God institutes the the governments and and he tells them to protect us or whatever, but I'm talking about as a Christian the way you war. Twelfth, Jesus' fellowships teaches, worships, and seeks a place to pray. He encouraged everyone to have the kind of relationship with God that would keep them from falling into temptation. It's called the basics of Christianity. (laughs) You know, the word, worship, and prayer. Those are still foundational today. Those didn't go away, you know, in the 1960s or whatever. Those are still what the church should be doing. That's still what we do. As individuals, we read the Word of God, we pray, we worship, basic things, we ask for forgiveness, we repent, we're not coming to you with a new gospel. I'm not trying to think up new things to tell you, because our brain leaks, we just need to hear the old things. We need to continually go through this book and remind ourselves of the foundational truths of Jesus Christ. If you're seeking somebody to come up with new revelation, you're probably going to get yourself in a lot of trouble. I don't know if I've ever had any new revelation or whether I would want to, to reveal any new revelation. It would be too much pressure on me. If God gives me some, I'll let you know, and we'll talk it out and see if it be true. But we're going to base it on the Word of God. And if you see anything that I'm off on, I'll be glad to talk to you because that's how you got to be. you got to be humble. I don't know everything. You don't either. <clears throat> Why is that funny? Because I looked at Richard when I said it? or <laughs> <laughs> But we have a means to, to evaluate what's been spoken and what's been revealed. And this is it. And it don't change. And you don't write your own version of the Bible like many cults have done. And take words out and so forth. <clears throat> 13 No, that was 13. No, no, that, this is 13. He gives us an example of healthy prayer by asking God for what he wants, but he trusted God for what he needed. He told us that angels are real. They'll minister to you and they're here to minister to the saints. If you have never in prayer sent forth the ministering angels to bring in your harvest or to protect your loved ones or so forth, you can do that. There are ministering angels here on the earth that are sent to minister to the needs of the saints. So uh, utilize those. Verse 15, he asked, why are you sleeping? And so wake, O you sleepers, lest you give in to some kind of temptation. And uh, what was the other thing? We're closing. I'm sorry. Okay. We shouldn't say that we love Jesus, but live with no intention of serving him. That's betraying him with a kiss. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. 16. Jesus showed us that it's about the people, and he loves them all. He loves ISIS, he loves our enemies. He just wants them to turn from their wicked ways and live. And we have to learn to love like Jesus. You know, if we're so harsh and so judgmental and we write people off, where could they ever possibly turn if they can't come to the church? to be? I mean, if, let's say if, ISIS, if a fellow in ISIS wanted to repent, but he came to our church, if we've written off ISIS and we don't uh, we don't accept him, what's he going to do? We have just uh, shut the door of heaven, and that's just like the Pharisees. He said, "You know, y- you come up with all these rules and you shut the door of heaven in people's faces." We can't have a f- a Pharisaical heart. Is that a word? It is now. We can't we can't be where we. We judge people. That's judging people. Not judging whether they do wrong or right. That's common sense. We have to do that. We have to judge fruit. But judging people and saying, you're not worthy of the kingdom of heaven, that's judging people. And that's the kind of judging that we're not called to do. So we should really prepare before we go on a journey. And so we come up out of that pool, refreshed, and we're all both scratching and stuff and and it's because I'm swollen up with uh, sunburn, and Hal is too, and he's, still, he's in scratched all the ant bites off of him. and he's, boy, he looks bad. And uh, we see this sign, and it says, room for rent, $10 a night. So we get out, and we go find our bill foes, and, and we find $10, and we, go, we, we don't even look at the room. We just slap, man, we're going to sleep in a bed tonight. We didn't even care that out front of that room was a fish cleaning table, and it was a fish cleaning shack. And that there was fish guts in the sink. We didn't care. Man, we were so tired. We went in there. I think we went to sleep before dark that night. But I remember waking up at night in the middle of there, and I was, I was itching different than I was before I went to bed. There was fleas in that bed. There was all manner of, of something or another in that bed. I don't want to get to heaven and live in a pup tent. I don't want to get to heaven and live in the fish cleaning shack. When I get to heaven, I want to have prepared. I want to have saved up some treasure in heaven so when I get there, I can enjoy myself. Anyway. The last thing is Jesus told his enemies, but this is your moment, the time when the power of darkness reigns. Those who came to get him, he told them, you couldn't come get me in the day time, couldn't you? Because you only work under the cover of darkness. I want to tell you that darkness is about to have its moment again. I truly feel that darkness is about to have its moment again. Seven years of it, to be exact. It's coming right down the pike. It's the tribulation spoke of by Daniel in chapter 9. It's the same tribulation that spoke of again in the book of Revelations in uh, the 12th and 13th chapters. It tells the exact amount of days. Uh, there's going to be a tribulation for three and a half years, and at, at the three and a half years, the Antichrist is really going to go whole hog, so to speak, and it's, then it's going to be the great tribulation for the next three and a half years. And it says that if God had not intervened, all life would be lost. It's going to be a time such as the world has never known It's going to be terrible. You don't want to be there. The good news is I personally believe that the church will be raptured before that at least gets too bad. Uh, They call that pre-tribulation rapture. Uh, That's what I believe in. And the reason I believe in it, if you'll turn to 1 Thessalonians 5, 5 will close. You're saying, well, how does this go with tonight's message? Well, it does. Because Jesus... Is trying to prepare us for the days that are ahead so that we can prepare for the journey. 1 Thessalonians 5, in verse 5, he says, You are all children of the light and the children of the day, and we are not of the night nor of the darkness. We need to get that through our head. If you're delving into any darkness, you find yourself hanging out in the darkness. All your friends are pulling you into the darkness. You need to get away. You need to understand that you're meant to be a child of light, a child of the day. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Clear thinking. Don't let anything cloud your thinking. And the world will definitely try to cloud your thinking, whether it's drinking alcohol, drugs, even prescription drugs will get you to a point where that you're that they, they have taken the edge off of your life and you are just existing. You might as well be in a psych ward somewhere in a little suit. Be careful. Watch and be sober. Be prepared to go. Verse 7, For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that are drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not appointed us to wrath. That's why I believe we won't be here for the tribulation, because it'll be a time when God pours out his bowls of wrath for the sins of mankind, those who will not repent and have not given their heart to Jesus. It's their last seven years to see what it really see see if they really want what they thought they wanted after God's people are gone. See how good it'll be then. When you get what you think you want, dark folks. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, and that whether we wake or we sleep, we should live together with him. So my question is, are you preparing for the journey? Mississippi, it's grand and all, but listen, when Jesus calls... I'll be good at being gone. (laughs) I'm going in the second bunch. Hmm? Yeah. First, the dead in Christ shall rise. I I don't want to be in that bunch. I want to go in the second bunch. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. I want to go in the second bunch. I don't want to experience natural death. If I do, I'll just get there... Sooner, I guess. But either way, I want to go. I'll be gone. I'll be good at being gone. Mississippi will have no more pull on me. Neither will this dark world. Anything in it. All of it's just a shadow. All of it's temporary. The whole system is corrupt. The whole thing's messed up. It ain't doing anybody any good. When Jesus sets up his rule, then we got something. Justice, righteousness. The people rejoice under a rule like that. Rewards. He keeps good records. We got everything in the world to look forward to if we're living for Jesus. And we got everything to fear if we're not. So be prepared for the journey. I don't know if you got what you were supposed to get out of tonight's message. I know I covered a lot of ground, talked a lot of smack. But listen, if nothing else, just remember... Recognize what time it is. And don't be playing around in the darkness. Be preparing. Be preparing your life. And be about God's business. Because he who winneth souls is wise. Let me pray. <laughs>